Greetings. This is the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Listen to the podcast on VHHA.com or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a bunch of other apps. We're also on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 820 a.m. across Central Virginia, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. Again, that's PCFpodcast at VHHA.com. And on today's episode, we're excited to be joined by Dr. Jackson Valley who is a resident physician at CHKD, the Children's Hospital of the King's Daughters in Norfolk. In the name of full disclosure, Jackson is family. He's my wife's cousin, and we are glad to have him on today. So welcome, Jackson. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It really is an honor. Yeah, absolutely. We appreciate it. So let's start by talking about a day in the life of a resident physician at a children's hospital, and particularly for you working on the PICU at CHKD. You work an overnight shift. I wonder what that's like and how have things changed for you during the current COVID-19 pandemic surge, which is leading to a record number of new cases and record hospitalizations across Virginia? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly been changes to kind of go for the first part of the question. The day in the life of a resident really varies every single month. And so one week you may find yourself like I am now getting in at 4.15 in the morning to the PICU and working till 6 and a busy day in an intensive care unit. And then next week you're in the general pediatrician clinic and you're doing well child visits after seeing critically ill kids the week before. A great amount of variability and kind of requires a lot of flexibility and your ability to not only learn how to become a doctor and a good doctor, but in like a lot of different settings. Uniquely for me, I think I was the first residency class that hasn't been a doctor, not in a pandemic. And so for me, the restrictions and not being able to see all of my fellow co-residents has kind of been the norm. And so I think going into residency, you have about 70 other people that are going through the same journey. And at the start of it, I don't think I met most of them for the first six months of residency besides seeing them on Zoom at morning conference or at a lunch or something like that. But certainly kind of with this new wave of the pandemic, which seems to be a little bit more prevalent in at least our children's hospital. I know our hospitals hit record numbers. We certainly have been starting to feel the strain that probably some of my adult colleagues have been feeling for a long time now. Do you wish you could focus on practicing medicine without all the distractions? Covaris is here to help. As a leader in medical professional liability insurance with more than 45 years experience, Covaris provides insurance protection with data-driven predictive modeling to help you mitigate the risk of claims. By combining insurance protection with risk analytic services, you can reduce distractions and focus on improving clinical, operational, and financial outcomes. Covaris is reinventing what you should expect from your medical professional liability provider. Find out all Covaris can offer you at Covaris.com. That's C-O-V-E-R-Y-S.com. Insurance products issued by Medical Professional Mutual Insurance Company and its insurance subsidiaries, Boston, Massachusetts. You mentioned working in pediatrics now. We mentioned your work at CHKD. From what I understand from conversations you and I have had, your long-term goal is to specialize in palliative care, which is a type of medical care for people living with a serious illness such as cancer or heart failure or dementia, among other conditions. This is a type of care that's focused on providing symptomatic relief to improve quality of life for patients and families. Palliative care isn't necessarily end-of-life care, but it can transition to that if a patient's condition is thought to be terminal. So I wonder, Jackson, if you could just tell me about your interest in the specialty, which in some ways seems sort of like the opposite end of the spectrum from pediatric care. 
Yeah, I think you kind of perfectly nailed it about the, the definition of palliative care and something that I, I kind of don't like telling people what I want to do. And that's very, very sad. But I say, oh, I'm in pediatrics. And they say, oh, do you want to specialize? I say palliative care. And then sometimes you get these reactions and the phrases I hear a lot is, oh, I can never do that or that must be so tough. And I think it's hard for people, especially people not in healthcare, to kind of see the beauty in it. And so for me, palliative care is a way of it's really being a patient advocate and probably aligns well with the title of this podcast. But for me, it's okay. I may not be able to fix every single person out there, but what I can do is ensure that they receive the best care possible and especially what that care means to them. Because some person's definition of quality of life is a lot different from others, especially the pediatric spectrum when maybe you're taking care of an 18-year-old with a brain tumor. But then your next patient could be a 24-week preemie whose parents have to speak for what they feel is best for their child. And we don't really know that child's wishes or anything like that. That. So I think it's really the heart of that doctor-patient relationship and advocating for your patients what care is right for them and their beliefs. I like the way you put that, advocating for patients and recognizing, to use your word, the beauty in caring for people at all stations of life. That really is a great outlook and perspective. Jackson, big picture, I want to ask what attracted you to a career in healthcare. You're a smart, capable guy who could have excelled in a lot of different professions. And for context, we should note that your mother is an artist and your father is a nurse leader in Pennsylvania. So does dad get some of the credit for serving as an inspiration in your professional choice? Oh, certainly. I think my dad has done a lot of different nursing jobs. My first introduction to the hospital was when he was a cath lab nurse, and I must have been 12 or 11, somewhere around that age, and he let me come watch a case. And I had no clue what was going on, and I didn't understand any of it, but there is all these cool machines and these big, important people, and I got to wear the lead suit. I was kind of instantly roped in, kind of going back to the last question on palliative care for a little bit of background. My dad is from Ireland, and he honestly is the epitome of that seeing the beauty and advocating for patients where the best medicine that he advocates for is a warm blanket and a nice chat. So some of those core principles that maybe come from his Irish background and Irish training and his first job in Ireland as a nurse, I have definitely tried to take some of that and apply it to my own practice. I like that, bringing that philosophy full circle. We should also note that congratulations are in order on your wedding, Jackson. Your bride, Kaylin, is a critical care nurse at Centera Norfolk General Hospital, which is located on an adjoining campus from CHKD in Norfolk. You two were married in a small ceremony during COVID in 2020, and that was made small because of considerations about the virus. And then I know you had a family celebration this past summer because of the pandemic. I haven't actually had a chance to meet Kaylin. So if you would, Jackson, just tell us a little bit about your better half. Yeah, I think my better half is really the, I don't want to say my opposite in medicine, but kind of like a yin and yang kind of thing where she's a critical care nurse and she is a doer. And she has the confidence in medicine and cares for patients in such a great direct approach. She sees people at their sickest. And I think really the difference between nurses and doctors is she spends all of her day 24-7 with the same one or two patients. Being at the bedside really gets that extra insight into critical illness. So she's driven, she just practices medicine in such a confident, direct manner that I think is essential in a critical care unit. 
And thank you for sharing that little bit about Kaylin. And I do look forward to meeting her one of these days. I will say that I told your parents this when I saw them at Christmas. Shout out to Sandy and Eugene. That it's really wonderful to see you all grown up as a professional, but it also makes me feel old because I remember when you were a young boy. <laughs> but I digress. And I do want to thank you, Jackson, for sharing some of your story with us this morning, especially after coming on what I imagine is a long shift at the hospital. Now that we've tackled some of the formal stuff about your work, I do have a pair of lighthearted questions to close us out that will give our listeners a little bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work you do. The first, and this is something that we ask all of our guests on the podcast, and this is a hypothetical, but in that imaginary scenario that you could anticipate your final day on Earth, what would your last meal be, Jackson? Oh, man, it's a tough one. I will bring it back to the family here, and I think every time growing up that we've seen each other, it's been over a meal at our Aunt Lee's house, and specifically her mashed potatoes, I think, would be a critical item in, in my last meal, and I think just that family gathering feel and seeing everyone, especially in times like these when we haven't had the chance to all get together. I think a, a good old Antley uh, Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner or any shared family meal. She did make a big spread for those meals, that's for sure. And then let me ask you an added wrinkle onto that question. If you could pick mm. any one person other than family from any point in history, living or otherwise, to join you for a special last meal, who would that person be? Ooh, <laughs> that's definitely a challenge. Man, any person in history. You know, this may be a strange answer, but Paul Kalanasi, who's the author of When Breathy Comes Air, I think if it's my last day on Earth, I'd want to gain some insight from someone, especially if I knew it was my last day on Earth. Many people may not have that insight into someone who's been through it and has found beauty in that those last days and someone who shared it with other people through his book. So I think that's what I would probably go with. Okay. Well, that actually sort of gives us a segue to our final question that we use to close things out on the podcast. And it's this, Jackson. If you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you bring with you to keep yourself occupied? We will spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three entertainment survival kit picks? Ooh, well, I guess I'll just keep rolling with that theme. That's certainly when breath becomes air. And I think it's kind of a cliche for a palliative care-headed physician to pick this. Certainly the Tolgawande's book are up there, too. But mm -hmm. again, finding the beauty in suffering. And I think he just writes about it so, so clearly, so beautifully. And I won't give spoilers, but certainly the last little bit of that book really just gets me every time. Albums. I know we've shared a lot of music over the years and um, while i'm tempted to say one of your handmade mixes burned onto a cd <laughs> and i'll actually that uh, used to hand me and i used to be so psyched for at a family gathering so i'll go with the district they're a small band from pennsylvania what is pennsylvania which is just outside lancaster flourish and spoil is the album kind of a little bit of an unhinged garage rocky kind of album with a little bit of folksy stuff in there i think and kind of has a song for every occasion Okay. And then the last one was a movie. Uh, man, I'll probably stick again to some of my childhood with a new modern twist and go Star Wars Rogue One. Uh, I think growing up, me and my dad kind of shared a love of Star Wars and I'll go with one of the more recent ones that I think just has a, a more clear and concise path than maybe some of the earlier movies. And hopefully old school Star Wars fans don't get at me for saying that. This is our chance to make a real difference. Are you with me? All the way. 
Rogue One's a great movie, and you can't go wrong with any Star Wars pick. Well, listen, I do want to thank you again for being with us, Jackson, and for sparing a few minutes of your time out of a busy schedule. And with that, that is going to bring us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so that you know when new episodes are available. And we want to once again thank our guest, Jackson Vallely, a resident physician at CHKD Children's Hospital of the King's Daughter in Norfolk, for joining us today. So thanks again for doing this, Jackson. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it.